Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome everybody to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we explain how everything has a history, even the most unexpected of subjects, like arrogance, pickles and walking. Sam, those are three terrific topics. We should do all of them. But nonetheless, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew, Sam, that the history of fire is in fact all about communication in Tudor society, or that the history of fattening, getting fat, is all about privilege in the Roman world. The man not sitting opposite me because we are social distancing, but he will help pilot us through these micro-histories. He's one of the country's leading professors of history. It's Professor Extraordinaire James Daybell. And the man not sitting opposite me in these dim, dark times of lockdown because we are social distancing, but yet ably helping me co-pilot these episodes is the famous historical adventurer himself, Dr Sam Willis. Now this is the fourth of our special Christmas-themed micro-histories in which we will embrace the task of demonstrating how an unexpected subject not only has a history but is massively important and interesting. We do it in just 15 minutes without just talking faster. We'll start with a shared example and then have just five minutes each to make a case for an interesting history on that very unexpected subject. Contributions will be rigorously timed. They will indeed. And you, you, dear listeners, you will get to vote on social media on what you think was the most interesting fact you heard in the episode. Today's topic, inspired by Christmas, is the history of lucky finds. Right, James, where are we going to start? Oh, well, for me, it's all about serendipity. It's about chance finds. And you may all be becoming slightly obsessed with chimneys as we're nearing the festive season. I know I am. Uh, decorating fireplaces, hanging stockings and all that jazz. And we've talked in our micro-history episodes on evil and shoes about how chimneys are a way into houses for evil beings. But they're also remarkable historical archives. And they often contain artefacts and documents that have been bricked in or lodged up the flue Serendipity, lucky finds in this way, have left us with one of the most interesting types of letters to be discovered in chimneys. And that is children's letters to Father Christmas. And for historians, they are a complete joy. Listen to this. I want a baby doll and a waterproof with a hood and a pair of gloves and a long toffee and a golden penny and a silver sixpence and a toffee apple. 
wrote The Breathless Alfred or Hannah Howard, we're not entirely sure, in October 1911 before placing the letter in the fire. It started to burn before being picked up by a draft and whisked up the chimney to safety on a tiny little shelf just inside. This all happened in their house in Dublin. 81 years later, it was discovered by a couple renovating their house. Letters like these are magical, not only because they record a list of material objects, but also a child's hopes, sometimes also their fears. The lesson of all of this, of course, is never to take your chimney for granted. Take a look inside. You just never know what you might find. Oh, I love that example, Sam. (laughs) So where are you going to go now, James, with Lucky Finds? Well, serendipity and Lucky Finds is not simply confined to chimneys. Uh, And what I'm going to go in various directions. I got very excited about this, and I think five minutes is far too short. I could do 500 minutes, (laughs) 500 hours on this. As a manuscript expert, I am obsessed with finding things and things cropping up. You get five minutes. And it's going to start in three, two, one, go. Well, Sam, for me, history is full of lucky finds. Remarkable documents, things found under floorboards. Take, for example, a 17th century student's letter from his mother found under a floorboard in Wadham College, Oxford. Or the papers of the 16th century Tresham family, a Catholic family persecuted, sealed up in a secret chamber, bricked into the family house. Or the discovery of shoes, witch bottles, even gloves, bricked into chimneys. I was reading this week, this very week, of a miraculous find of golden coins dating from the late 15th century through into the 16th century by a family in the New Forest who were weeding their garden. Imagine that. And three of these coins were related to um, Henry VIII's wives, Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour. And they featured the initials of them, which is an extraordinary find. These kinds of things crop up all the time, but probably the most serendipitous recent find that I've come across was announced by the British Library last week. I heard about it a a little while ago because the British Library was able to purchase a manuscript belonging to the 17th century court poet and theologian John Donne, a very famous poet, and it was discovered in a country house in Suffolk called Melford Hall. And It's a very, very rare manuscript, and it was sold at auction for a breathtaking, get this, Sam, £475,000, which is an enormous amount of money. And, of course, the auctioneers take a good chunk of that. Um, The... They didn't want the manuscript because it was so important to go out of the country. And so it was blocked. The sale of it going abroad was blocked. And the British Library was basically given the chance to you know, raise funds to, um, to, to acquire it. And what's very exciting now is that it, is, it has been digitised. So everyone around the world can look at it. So if you are bored over this Christmas, go just Google... John Dunn Manuscript, British Library, and you will get a high-quality digital image of it, and you can leaf your way through. It's been titled Edgerton Manuscript 3884, and it was found by a manuscript specialist completely by chance. Uh, This was a, a guy called Dr Gabriel Heaton, 
who is an expert at Sotheby's. Uh, I know Gabriel. Uh, in fact, I played two truths and a, and a lie with Gabriel atop a six-storey building in Washington, D.C. about 20 years ago. Uh, so Gabriel and I go back a long time. I haven't seen him for ages, but he's doing all sorts of exciting things as the manuscript expert at Sotheby's. And he went to this property to just value what they had and then discovered that leafing through this um, this uh, this volume, this manuscript volume, he just recognised all of these poems by John Donne. You know, oh, here's one, here's another one. And imagine his excitement. And he writes, We attended the hall to simply undertake a standard valuation, the sort of visit that we do for a large country house. I was looking at the archive, which had boxes of material that had been gathered from inside the house, and opened up one of the boxes and recognised the poems by John Donne, and immediately realised that this was a major discovery, which was very, very exciting. I opened the book, it was beautiful, and started reading and thought, that's a John Donne poem, and that's another, and another. So it's a really exciting find. It's a massive manuscript volume. It's very expensively bound. It's got about 139 poems by John Donne, and it's probably the second largest known collection of... John Donne poetry uh, that exists. And one of the reasons why this is important is because what it tells us about is how this manuscript poetry circulated. And studying it, it will open up new insights into, um, into John Donne's poetry. And I have friends around the world who are in social media uh, at this very moment, literally wetting themselves, trying to be the first person uh, to study this. They're blogging about it. They're trying to claim ownership of it. It's, it's, it's brilliant, but it's a really, really important find. And super that it has been offered open access by the British Library. So absolute hats off to them. Uh, to enable this, and at a time when we're in lockdown and people can't visit archives... There you are, James. Uh, You've been stopped. You've been stopped by a Chinese tank. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It was a, a Type 692 tank, very famous in uh, China in the 1980s, and uh, one was recently discovered in a shed in Russia, and they managed to start it up. So that was your weird historical noise, but you can finish your sentence. I'll finish my sentence, and I will backtrack. I think it's brilliant that the British Library has offered this open access in a digital format, uh, so that during lockdown, people from around the world are going to be able to view this very important manuscript. So there you have it, Sam. For me, the history of lucky finds is all about Henry VIII's wives and a fantastically important John Donne manuscript. Very good. I hugely enjoyed that. Okay, Beat, beat that, sucker. Beat that, sucker. <laughs> wow. Okay, This time of year, there, I'll see what I can There's a challenge. Do. I'm, okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure with your many travels, you've got all sorts of lucky finds. Okay, are you going to count me down? I might well do that. Let me just sort out my iPhone. Uh, stop. Reset, and I'm going to time you scrupulously, Willis. <laughs> On your marks, get set, go. Right, I am going to talk about 
Um, all sorts of types of lucky finds, um, but particularly the major historical discovery of the entire 20th century. Yes, I'm going to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's something I've come across a little bit in our podcasts, and I absolutely love them. Now, as a historian, we can talk about all sorts of different types of lucky finds, but what about an ancient library, James? Surely that's the best type of lucky finds. There have been all sorts of discoveries of ancient libraries over over time. Uh, most famously, um, the uh, papyrus rolls, a huge library of papyrus rolls found at Herculaneum, uh, where it had been buried by the eruption of Vesuvius. Those were found in the mid-18th century. My point here is that I'm going to talk about the um, discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 50s, but there is a history of the discovery of ancient libraries. Not only that, we're thinking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's actually a history of the discovery of ancient books of the Bible, which I thought was appropriate to talk about at this time of year. So here's a, a little little. Um, storm through that. In 1774, we've got a Scottish explorer, James Bruce, and he managed to find something called the Ethiopian manuscripts of the lost book of Enoch from the second century BC. He turns back in, turns up in England, having brought them back from Abyssinia. In 1859, Konstantin Tischendorf found at Sinai a Greek codex, like a bound volume, which contained most of the Greek Old Testament and all of the New and it was subsequently dated to the first half of the 4th century AD. In 1896, they found the Hebrew original of Ecclesiasticus, uh, an important book of the Greek Bible from the early 2nd century BC. That was found in the famous Cairo Genitza. It's the storeroom of the Ben Ezra Synagogue in Old Cairo. In 1937, parchment codices of the 5th century AD uh, containing the long-lost original literature of the Manichaeans, later called the Albigenses, came to light in uh, Coptic translations. They suddenly appeared. And since 1931, a large number of papyrus leaves containing portions of both the Old and New Testament from the 2nd and 3rd centuries have come to light, um, known as the Chester Beatty papyri. Uh, these are fascinating. No one really knows where they came from. But one idea is that the manuscripts were in jars in a Coptic graveyard near the ruins of the ancient city of Aphroditopolis. I've not heard of that place before. Anyway, important as all of these are, none are as important as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they were found in the spring of 1947 by some Bedouins and they found them in a cave. They came across um, some jars full of dark oblong lumps wrapped up in lengths of linen coated with a black layer of what seemed to be pitch and wax. They unrolled them and found them to be manuscripts inscribed in parallel columns on thin sheets, which had then been sewn together. Anyway, they see the writings not Arabic, and that's the most important thing. They take them to Bethlehem, they try and sell them. Um, they can't actually sell them to a merchant, but they end up giving them to, to the guys in charge of a monastery in Jerusalem uh, who recognises the importance of them. He describes them as being wrapped up like mummies, and this guy realises that no one had lived in the area where they'd been found, about a kilometre from uh, the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. He realised that no one had actually lived there since the earliest Christians. And they turn out to be hugely important, belong to a devout um, sect called the Essenes, uh, one of four distinct Jewish groups living in Judea at the time of the Roman era. Um, why are they important? Well, that they were, they were a thousand years older than the earliest previously known Hebrew biblical text. So those people who found it realised the writing wasn't Arabic, they were correct, it wasn't, it was Hebrew. Anyway, 
One of the most interesting things of these scrolls is that one of them was made of copper. And it uh, was an interesting um, material believed specifically to have been written on copper so that it wouldn't rot. And it wanted it not to rot because it contained the locations of treasure, gold and silver caches. Here are some examples. In the ruin that is the valley of Acor, under the steps with the entrance at the east, a distance of 40 cubits, is a strong box of silver and its vessels with a weight of 17 talents. 42 talents lie under the stairs in the salt pit. 65 bars of gold lie on the third terrace. Oh, I'm being stopped. What is that, James? We also try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, syrup. That is one of my favourite Christmas films. It's a scene from Elf. It's the candy corn scene where he's sitting down with his family uh, having uh, spaghetti for dinner and he talks oh. about the, far, the four main uh, food groups. I can't be all historical all the time, but it's sort of historical film, uh, sort, sort of, of and sort Very of tradition good. and Christmassy. Uh, anyway, I interrupted you and you have uh, one sentence, but you're midway through an enormous quote. Oh, I don't know. I'll carry on this because it is really great. We'll let you you have an extension, Sam. Silver and gold buried. 70 talents of silver are enclosed in wooden vessels that are at the cistern of a burial chamber in Maisha's courtyard. 15 cubits from the front of the eastern gates lies a cistern. The 10 talents lie in the canal of the cistern. Six silver bars are located at the sharp edge of the rock, which is under the eastern wall of the cistern. The cistern's entrance is under the large paving stone threshold. Dig down four cubits in the northern corner of that pool. That is east of Colet. There will be 22 talents of silver coins. In total, right, there are 4,600 talents of precious metal identified in this document, the Copper Scroll of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's one of the ones that's often overlooked. So there you have it, James. Lucky finds, at this, at least at this time of year, it's all about the discovery of ancient libraries, and more specifically about discoveries of ancient books of the Bible. It's about treasure maps, copper as a writing surface, and the Roman violence of the Roman soldiers who destroyed these settlements. Oh, I... You know what? I think we should have a new podcast series called Lucky Finds, Lucky History <laughs> Finds. I think we could like just fill it, uh, you, you know, almost on an hourly basis. That was terrific, Sam. One of my favourite of these Christmas episodes. Great. Uh, thank you all for listening, guys. And um, do please uh, follow us on social media. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis, and I'm at James Dable. And the pod is at Unexpected Pod, and you can follow everything that we have done in the past and everything that we are up to at the moment by checking out our brilliant website historiesoftheunexpected.com where you can also purchase signed copies of our books for people for Christmas however make sure that your order gets to us by the 16th of December in order to guarantee there is no disappointment and that it arrives to you before Christmas (laughs) thank you all so much for listening guys we'll be back with another Christmas micro history soon Bye. Bye, guys.